Hello, and welcome to the Turbulent World with James M. Dorsey podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. At first glance, Islamic scholars discussing the religious legitimacy of the United Nations and the nation state sounds esoteric. It's not. On the contrary, it's potentially revolutionary. Religious scholars led by Nahadatul Ulama, the world's largest and arguably most moderate Muslim civil society movement in the world's largest Muslim majority country and democracy, hope that the legitimization will counter notions of a caliphate and a transnational Islamic state as an alternative world order advocated by militants such as Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. If adopted, legitimization of the United Nations would make the UN Charter with its references to fundamental human rights, the dignity and worth of the human person and the equal rights of men and women legally binding for its Muslim signatories according to religious law. In doing so, the religious legitimization would take substantial wind out of the sails of often whipped up anti-Muslim sentiment that questions Muslim attitudes and loyalty towards the state. That sentiment was, for example, evident when an anchor on India's controversial Hindu nationalist Hindi language Z News recently asked whether Muslims who sing the national anthem become kafirs. The anchor was using the Arabic word for an infidel. The effort to reform Islamic jurisprudence so that it embraces the concept of the nation state and the United Nations is part of a sustained Nahdlatul Ulama effort to spark reform of Islamic jurisprudence and inspire other faiths to take a critical look at their potentially problematic tenets as a way of countering extremism and religiously inspired violence. That's where the revolutionary aspect kicks in. Reform of Islamic jurisprudence challenges a key pillar of autocratic strategies in the Muslim world designed to ensure the survival of repressive regimes. Muslim leaders parroted by their Western counterparts have for more than two decades since 9-11, insisted that Islam and Islamic jurisprudence need no reform. Instead, they assert that jihadis misrepresent and misconstrue the faith. In doing so, autocrats drown out criticism of their brutal, repressive rule that brooks no dissent and potentially provokes violence. Casting jihadists as deviants rather than products of problematic tenets of jurisprudence that justify violence stymies criticism of the justification of autocracy as a necessary means to combat violence and promote moderate Islam. Time to coincide with the centennial of Nadatul Ulama, according to the Muslim Hijri calendar, the scholars will gather in February in the Indonesian city of Surabaya under the auspices of the recently constituted Religion Forum 20 or R20, a group of 20 engagement TAC to discuss an Islamic jurisprudence 
for a global civilization. The group of 20 brings together the world's largest economies. Nadatul Ulama's concept note for the Surabaya conference argues that views that legitimize and encourage suspicion, segregation, discrimination, and even hostility and conflict towards those who bear the legal status of infidels are scattered throughout the classical texts on Islamic jurisprudence or fiqh. These views are still considered credible and should be practiced to the present day. Muslim groups involved in conflict, including the use of violence and terror, defend their position by citing references from these classical fic texts. Potentially, the concept note will put on the spot some of the invited speakers, such as Muslim World League General Secretary Muhammad Al-Issa, Forum for Promoting Peace in Muslim Societies President Abdullah bin Bayer, Tabakh Foundation Head Habib Al-Jufri, and Al-Azhar Grand Imam Ahmed Al-Tayeb. These men represent autocratic regimes that insist that Islamic jurisprudence needs no reform. Mr. Al-Issa's League is Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's vehicle for propagating a socially liberal, politically repressive interpretation of Islam that demands absolute obedience to the ruler. Messieurs Bimbaya and Al-Jufri serve the same purpose for United Arab Emirates President Mohammed bin Zayed. Mr. Al-Tayeb's Al-Azhar is subservient to the government of Egyptian President Abdul Fattah al-Sisi and supported by the two Gulf monarchies. Religious legitimization of the United Nations and the concept of a nation state could have far-reaching consequences for the order of the Muslim world that partially bases its religious justification on the employment by the Organization for Islamic Cooperation or OIC of the language of Islamic jurisprudence to empower states. The OIC groups the world's 57 Muslim majority countries. By reforming the jurisprudence, Nadatul Ulama would in theory introduce guardrails for the incorporation by OIC members of Islamic law into domestic legal systems. By and large, Muslim majority states have used the OIC framework to monopolize the right to interpret Islamic law and bend it to their will. For example, in the justification of abuse of human rights or in the case of countries like Saudi Arabia and the UAE to demand absolute obedience to the ruler. The OIC and some of its members have also used the organization's religious framing and 1990 Cairo Declaration on Human Rights in Islam to lobby the United Nations to classify blasphemy as a violation of human rights and a form of hate speech. Liberal critics charge that Nadatul Ulama's silence about a recently adopted new Indonesian criminal code has dented its credibility. The law defines apostasy as leaving a religion or belief and criminalizes anyone who attempts to persuade a person to be a non-believer in a religion or belief. 
It also bans extramarital sex and curbs freedom of expression by, for example, outlawing insulting the president, but puts major limitations on who can file a complaint. Naratul Ulama's acquiescence sparked questions on how it squares that with its unconditional endorsement of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, a significant differentiator in its rivalry with state-sponsored autocratic versions of moderate Islam. Privately, influential Nadatul Ulama sources defend the socially restrictive aspects of the law, but concede that freedom of expression concerns are legitimate. The sources expect the law to be modified in challenges likely to be filed with the constitutional court. Even so, scholar Sana Jeffrey and Eve Warburton warned that provisions of the law threaten political dissent with prison sentences and have the potential to muzzle public debate about the purview of the state in citizens' private and political lives. The criticism notwithstanding, Naratul Ulama's effort to anchor the United Nations and the concept of the nation state in Islamic jurisprudence constitutes the most serious current challenge to autocratic Muslim justification of repressive rule. In doing so, it could prove to be revolutionary. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Also, Thank you to all who have demonstrated their appreciation for my column by becoming paid subscribers. This allows me to ensure that it continues to have a maximum impact. Maintaining free distribution means that news websites, blogs, and newsletters across the globe can republish it. If you are able and willing to support the column, please become a paid subscriber by clicking on Substack on the subscription button at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. Thank you, take care and best wishes.